Welcome back to Functional Observations, a podcast for dysfunctional time. We are your hosts, Anthony Donald and Donald Anthony. I'm Anthony Donald. I am Donald Anthony. And we're back, episode three. There was a bit of delay between episode one and episode two, and that was due to some technical difficulties I had, specifically with the storage on my laptop. Um, uh, I went, we went to record the third episode of this podcast, and I looked at my laptop, and I had eight megabits of storage left out of a 128 gigabyte hard drive, which is point zero zero many zeros, and then 1% of the storage <laughs> left. Needless to say, not enough for a whole episode of the podcast, so... I had to frantically delete everything on my laptop or move it away or get rid of it. Um, nothing valuable nothing lost. Valuable, nothing valuable lost. And still, not enough was gone. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I, I rebooted. So well, at the end of the day, when I'm done using my laptop, I'll just put it to sleep rather than turning it on and off. So I restarted my laptop, see if that would do something. Lo and behold, fixed everything. <laughs> I I looked in my like on on a Mac, it has like a little breakdown of how your hard drive is being used, and ninety gigabytes of the hundred twenty were being used with my system. So I turned it on and off, and went down to twenty eight. Problems fixed. Troubles were over. That means nothing to me. <laughs> Doesn't mean a whole lot to me either. But nevertheless, here we are. We got plenty of space ready to record another spectacular episode of this podcast. And I want to start this episode uh, with a new segment that we have done before, listener questions. So I had some people who listened to the podcast. Exciting. People listen to the podcast, text me questions that they want us to answer about topics we discussed in this last episode, uh, specifically about Monk. Um, So this is for Joseph and Matt. Um, uh, So obviously Monk has two companions throughout the arc of the show. First, um, Sharona, and then later Natalie. Sharona is there for the first two seasons and then about halfway through the third season? Yeah, more than halfway. Maybe episode nine or ten, she disappears. And so why did she disappear? Uh, she and her husband, uh, I guess, separated, divorced, something, mm-hmm. um, rekindled the old flame, and they're back together, and she's, uh, she's returned to Joycey. Mm-hmm. But outside the show, it was, it was uh, presumably... Oh, well, yeah, contract dispute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sharona... Played by mm-hmm. Biddy Schramm, sure. yeah. something like that, something like that yeah. wanted more money. And they told her, take a hike. Then they got Natalie in there. They got Natalie, who I think is a dud. Uh, well, but the, maybe she grows on you. Don't to, know. To the question, uh, who, do you, who do we prefer, Sharona or Natalie? Oh, Sharona, Sharona hands down. Hands down, yeah. Not yeah. even a question. Yeah. <laughs> but but maybe, maybe maybe Natalie will grow into the role. I don't think so. She's white bread. She's white bread. I mean, well, to, well, hold on a second. Mom. We, we have a visitor in the studio. Um, Management so, has... Uh, uh, inquiring minds would like to know, of Adrian Monk's companions on the television show, Monk, who's better, Natalie or Sharona? It's a hard question because I think they have very distinct personalities. They're strong personalities, but distinct, and I think it's who you feel comfortable with. Personally, I like Sharona. I thought it was a better match between Monk and Sharona. I think Natalie does a good job, but that chemistry where she is exasperated but very tender hasn't come through like it did with Sharona. I don't know. I think Sharona, tough love. That's what I like. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah, bing, bang, boom. That's true, but she, but that's what I mean. It was, she was tough, but you could tell that she really cared about them. There was um, times when she was tender with Monk, mm-hmm. but you don't get that with Natalie. Sometimes she's very short and curt with him in a way that's not as acceptable as it was with Sharona. I think she's that, a turnoff. Natalie is a turnoff. Well, 
Hmm, that's pretty strong. I would say, I'm sure there are people who prefer Natalie, but for my taste, I like Sharona better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to use a food metaphor here, Sharona is like a Torelli. Now, for those who don't know what a Torelli is, it's a wonderful Italian biscuit. It's oily. A little peppery. A little peppery. Got some fennel, a little anise flavoring in there. There's stuff going on. There's, There's bite. There's, There's spice. Bite. There's bite. It's fun. It's flavorful. Natalie is saltine. Purely functional. She's, She's there to move the plot along. She is. She's a wafer. No energy. Yet. I would agree with that. The, the depth and the, 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 um, um, spi the spunk of... Uh, Narona. Uh, Narona. Sharona. Sharona is not there with Natalie. I would agree. So, well, anyhow. So the, the, the second question is, so apparently the doctor, we've only, I mean, I think to kind of you know, tip our hand or preference, we, we stopped watching most of through season three pretty much after Natalie showed up. Mm -hmm. So apparently uh, the doctor. With, with the psychiatrist. psychiatrist Monk psychiatrist. You, what, what is his name? Uh, Dr. Kimmel or something like something, that. Anyway, apparently he goes away because the actor who played him dies. Oh, is that so? Apparently, that's what Matt told me. I, I know that that yeah, the guy that played mm -hmm. um, the doctor croaked, but I thought it was after the yeah, show disappeared. Apparently, apparently during the show. Around. Anyway, that, so we were a problem. asked which doctor we prefer, but we haven't gotten to this new doctor, so you know we're oh, not okay. uh, we're not in a position to answer that question accurately. But I like this doctor. Yeah, but you it's like good. this doctor. It's good. He's a good doctor. He's yeah. a good man and thorough. And thorough. And thorough. <laughs> I can't, so this is another show, but whenever you like talk about psychiatrists, I keep on thinking of Chris Traeger, psychiatrist from Parks and Rec, Dr. Richard Nygar, who we see six times a week. Mm -hmm. So similar. Hey, what about the psychiatrist in MASH? Excellent. Oh, uh, Cindy. Yeah, Cindy. great. I mean, I, I was watching MASH earlier this summer quite a bit, and Cindy, you know, he's a recurring character every yeah. now and again. Um, but for the time, I was reading like an article, for the time, he was a wonderful representation of what a psychiatrist should be on television, where he's understanding, empathetic somewhat humorous. Mm -hmm. And he would parachute in at the MASH unit. Why? Because Hawkeye was getting a little no, weird? Or I think he'd just kind of show up and they're like, oh, hey, look, there's a mental patient. It's like, oh, right. convenient. I yeah. think the plot kind of demanded it. Yeah, yeah. So, so listener or audience questions. One about Sharona versus Natalie. We've addressed we've that, addressed I think, that, yeah. probably beyond the beyond. Um, any other listener questions? Those are the only listener questions this week, but I think if people want to ask us more questions, we'll set up an email. Um, we'll be in the description. Fire away. We'll answer. Bring it on. Bring it on. We'll answer what you, what you want to know. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the meat of this week's episode, which is your retirement. I have a retirement plan. You have a retirement plan? Well, you're near retirement. I hope I am. Don't know. Don't know. You know, it, uh, it, it could be months. It could be... Yeah. A year or more away. You know, at but, any rate. Anyway, but if you stay ready, if you stay ready, you never need to get ready. That's right. I like it. I like that. So I've got a plan, mm -hmm. and I've revised it um, almost daily um, for um, a couple of weeks. You've now. Taken conservatively several passes at it. I have, yeah, conservatively several passes. So, so what, anyhow, where did it start? Where, let's let's walk through this process. Okay. Uh, I started with priorities, um, and uh, management would disagree with the priority or priorities as they're arranged, um, but I started with reading. Mm -hmm. What do I want to read in retirement that I can't do while I'm gainfully employed? Mm -hmm. At the top of the list, The Bard, of course. Shakespeare. Thank you. Uh, followed by Twain. So when you say Shakespeare, how much of Shakespeare do you want to read? All of it. All of it. The whole I, I, I took I took a a comedies uh, course, Shakespeare comedies course, as an undergraduate, and it was great. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get enough of it. And uh, there was a part two and three and four 
course, you know, you could do the histories and the tragedies, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I stopped at uh, the comedy for reasons I don't know to this day. But nonetheless, I pledge that um, by age 30, um, I would read all of Shakespeare. And we're some way, some distance away from that. We are. I haven't gotten past the comedies of my undergraduate days. So, top of the list. Um, Twain, number two. Uh, again, didn't take a course, read some of Twain in college, but recreationally for the most part. Like to fill in some gaps there. Uh, and then lastly, in terms of notable writers, Pinchon. Gonna reread all of Pinchon. Mm -hmm. uh, um, not, a, I mean, not a mean feat. No, not a mean feat, um, but I think it's doable with discipline. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the downside to the list that I just gave you, they're all white men. Two mm -hmm. of them are dead. Two of them are dead. Yeah. Uh, one also. <laughs> very close. Could very, very well. I think he's 84. Yeah, incredibly reclusive as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, um, but but I have other mm -hmm. uh, interests and titles and authors that... that Any um, that come to mind? Where they're written down? Um, hmm. Let's let's go down the list of other things and we'll okay. come back to we'll, we'll it. We'll circle back around. Yeah, yeah, we can. Uh, birding. Very interested in birding. This is a new passion. A new passion. passion. A, a pandemic-inspired passion. Pandemic passion. So we have a yard, as many people Would do. that be a PIP? Pandemic-inspired well, passion. You, a PIP. You little neologist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so this, I mean, you know, this, uh, this what was a mere fascination has grown exponentially in these past months. It has. Months. Yeah. It's not a fetish. Not a fetish. But Let's it's, make it, that very clear. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it went from mere fascination to passion. Passion. And I think we're going to try to hold it at passion. Hold it at passion. You want to be, well, we recently visited a bird store. We that, did. And that was really spilling over to mom and I, an Ahab-like obsession with birds. But yeah, it, I guess they don't have, they don't sell birds, that, but they pipe in bird noises bird and noises, chirping. But it's mostly, you know, the paraphernalia, the paraphernalia right. associated with birding. Right, the apparatus. The apparatus, books, patches, street right. stands. Shepherd hooks. Shepherd hooks. Baffles. Yeah, all sorts that, of food. All sorts of things. Every imaginable food I guess a bird would want. Yeah. That was, I mean, I mean, I know I'm not, you know, a card king of the Audubon Society, so no. I know next to nothing about birds, but <laughs> the variety of bird food, staggering. Mind-boggling. The birds, you know. Yeah, the birds. You right. They eat whatever. They would. They'd eat breadcrumbs. I think they do. Do you have something to say? Remember, we, we talked about the variety of the, the suet and other um, peanut butter and things that are available yeah. to birds. Right. And we said, they look pretty good. And the fellow said, yes, we've often said, if this store were closed, we wouldn't go hungry. We could eat this stuff. Right. Yeah, I think maybe to put a finer point on that, he said if there was some sort of catastrophe that forced them to remain in the store, in the store they could eat this peanut butter garbage that you feed to birds. <laughs> so. Yeah, so... so I think it's we. So we went to the store, mm -hmm. bought a bird bath, which mm -hmm. we've had it on for a while, and then a couple more feeders of various types. Yeah. Which you hung off a swing set that's been, you know, unused for years at this point. Your childhood. My childhood swing set. Yeah. Um, so birding. So birding. Birding is on the retirement plan. Okay. Uh, Zen. Zen Buddhism. This has been an interest of yours for several years now. Off and on. Off and on. Well, yeah, been too busy, too busy doing other things. Too busy to find eternal peace. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, Zen Buddhism slash uh, meditation—they kind of go hand in hand. They do. 
uh, sit around and say, um, um yeah. or walk sometimes um, walking meditation. Yeah. 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 I was, uh, reading a little bit last night by, um, this, uh, Zen priest superstar named Thich Nhat Han. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's good. But so at times it, it, yeah, so I read it. It was good. So I read it. But at times it reads like um, uh, a script by Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of out there, kind of kind of a stretch for me. Uh-huh. But nonetheless, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, you know, along the lines of this whole Eastern thing, mm-hmm. mixing a little yoga a little in yoga. retirement. Mm-hmm. Which, but you've you been know. doing yoga as well. So the, these seem like like developing passions you'd like to continue. I think so. Yeah. 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 Yoga is good for you. Yeah. So I've been told. Management told me I need to add yard work. Yeah, so well let's get into that. So you're 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 like self betterment, self discussion, you're like, well, you know, we have a house here. Right. Self improvement. Yeah, it goes so far. So I mean well you weed whack, is there any uh, other yard yard work that could be added um, on the horizon? I guess um, eventually I'm gonna have to take up mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn. Yeah. Which has been bequeathed to you in recent months. Uh, tree trimming. Mm-hmm. Um, weeding. I'd like to do a vegetable garden, but it just sounds like too much work. Yeah. You know, just to soon go down to the mm-hmm. local uh, market. And also, that seems moving away from the home maintenance and towards personal project. <laughs> That's right. Dimension. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A little self-indulgent. Uh, maybe exercise. I'm extremely unfit. Uh-huh. And so I'd like to do something about that. Uh, maybe a little volunteer work, you know, giving back to the community. I, know, you, I think you famously said once that your ideal life post-retirement is handing towels at a gym. Handing out towels at a gym would be about as uh, complicated and demanding a work that I would pursue post-retirement. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe being a courier. Courier. Delivering, par- delivering parcels mm-hmm. to someplace, you know. Yeah. Work for a bank mm-hmm. and drive a van. I see. You know, deliver, I don't know, money or checks or documents mm-hmm. from the main branch <laughs> to, to the other branches. This is insane, of yeah. course, but nonetheless, it's on the list. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that, that uh, you know, along the lines of reading, I, I you know, this idea of maybe uh, reading the dictionary. So you Doesn't wanna, that sound like fun? So why? 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 Uh, why the dictionary? I once heard from a friend of mine years and years ago, still a friend, who knew somebody who knew Truman Capote very well. Mm-hmm. Great writer, right? Yeah. And cold blood. blood. Oh, cold blood. Cold I was blood. blood simple. That's Cory McCarthy. Thing. Yeah. Different yeah. guy. Yeah. Different. Whole different thing. <laughs> but blood. Um, blood related. So knew um, Capote very well. And apparently Capote liked to uh, read the dictionary for kicks. Now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. On the face of it, not terribly exciting, but I might try it. And as a matter of fact, I have um, with me uh, Webster's New World College Dictionary, fourth edition. Fourth edition, right at hand. And uh, it, it comes in at uh, 1,716 pages. So if I read a page a day, what's yeah. the math there? How many so how many pages was it? 1716, I could do that. 1716, so that's just under six years. Probably closer to five. Uh-huh. I'll be drooling on myself in five or six years. So All right, I well, that I'll make it to the end. Got to get going. Now, you know, at the extreme 
end of dictionary reading course, there's there's the Oxford. The OED. The OED, which the, is like 17 volumes or something yeah. like that. I mean, you really can't get a print version of it. There's an online version that I yeah. used before. But. Yeah. Online, I, I guess a print paper version would cost you a song, but... Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, the OED is just, it's just, it's more than the dictionary. <laughs> right. It's a world. Now, now we've very comfy slipped into the dictionary discussion portion of the podcast. Yeah. Really brings in the viewer, listeners, and the viewers. Yeah. Sure. So what are you reading? Uh, what am I reading? Not the dictionary. I'm reading Anna Karenina now. Uh, yeah. Leo Tolstoy. Would you say the last, because I've never quite understood. I've How do you it, pronounce the last? I think it's Karenina. Karenina. Well, so here's the thing. So, good. uh, Russian, I mean, we can do a whole podcast about naming conventions in Russian novels. Right. Uh, it seems, you know, I've read a few from my limited experience. And yeah. I know nothing about Russian, I know relatively nothing about Russian people. Right. Uh, it seems that when they're referred to in dialogue, they'll use the first two names. Uh-huh. And then when they're referred to in the text, like expositionally or with their thoughts, they're referred to as the last name. Right. So, for example, in Crime Punishment, Rodin Romanovich Raskolnikov. Mm-hmm. When he's referred to, like in speech, let's say, oh, Rodin Romanovich. Mm-hmm. And then when he's referred to in the text, it's Raskolnikov. So what happens if they've also got a nickname? Do they ever they'll, have nicknames? Like, yeah, they'll, like, they'll, like Snoop Dogg or something like that? They'll have, yeah, well, not stage name, but love nicknames. So like, um, there's a character in... Um, Biff. How about that? Biff. Yeah, there's a character in this book. Um, his name is uh, Stephen Obolonsky. Right. Uh, he's referred to as Steva, Steva, affectionately by his wife and his sister. But he's only got two names. I think he's a, he has a third name. He has a third I, I name. I don't remember. Right. Two, you know. So is it befuddling? No, it's not. It's pretty clear. Like okay. I think, and then you do feel like a shorthand. It's like they'll never like use the same last name twice. So like a main character. So for mm-hmm. example, like um, there's a character um, Constantine Levin. Okay. Is his name. I mean, there's a character Levin. So mm-hmm. like he's one. He has two other brothers. The only use his last name. Got it. Consistently, then they'll like use his first name. Right. Their guest first name. Anyway. Yeah. So. Anna Karenina, it's a feminized version of her husband's name, Karenin, K-A-R-E-N-I-N. So there's an A at the end, and it seems like a common um, yep. common thing in Russian naming. Why to gather from this text written in the 19th century? That could have changed yeah. in the intervening years. Anyway, so Anna Karenina, Leo Tolstoy's book uh, about socialite, about Russian upper-class cra- upper life mm-hmm. just before late 19th century going into the 20th century. Aristocracy? Aristocracy. So before the revolution, but around the time of these liberalizing reforms introduced by the czar. So um, stuff like first technology, so telegraph, uh, train, stuff that's compacting the world, um, as we saw in America during the same period. Right. Uh, Redefining institutions, so there's the creation of these Zemstavs, which are Zemtavs, which are these kind of elected bodies in the countryside mm-hmm. that, you know, administer to the peasant class, um, mm-hmm. growing Western capitalist ideas. And so what we're seeing now is the growth of this merchant class who is becoming rich at the same time as this decline of the aristocracy who's becoming poor. Got it. And so that's all going on. That's all in the background. And it's brought into focus by these characters discussing it, but then also how these shifting institutions affect these characters' relationships. So mm-hmm. one of the ways that uh, Tosser does is, and this is, you know, a smaller theme throughout the whole book is how do these institutions shape and limit characters in their desires? Mm-hmm. So, for example, Anna Karenina has uh, an extramarital affair with this man named Vronsky. They have a child, and so he's what I, what I find very interesting about Tolstoy, and then also um, Dostoevsky is they're getting at this existentialist idea that was codified by Sartre 
you know, in the 20th century about this idea of being for others, where when you feel shame, uh, deceitfulness, anger, it's not an internalized feeling, but it's a reflection of how others are seeing you that you internalize upon yourself. And it's something that figures very prominently into how these characters behave in Anna Karenina. Mm -hmm. And then also Crime and Punishment, where this main character who's murdered someone feels the shame and guilt when he sees his mother, not because she knows about it, but because he thinks that she would feel that, react that way when she learned about it. So it's these externalizations become internalized, this idea that's very central to existentialism. And becomes this motivating factor, like 40 or 50 years for these characters, 40 or 50 years before he becomes codified by Sartre. And so we have a character like Anna Karenina who feels, who has this deep emotional carnal reaction to seeing Vronsky, like she feels alive mm -hmm. and she feels shame at that. And so here is her naturalistic human tendencies being suppressed by these institutions in which she lives, the society in which she lives, the propriety of those standards. And so you had these people their human desires, passions, being confined by these institutions, these social norms that are rapidly changing around them, and it creates this confusion, like, should I be constrained by these institutions if they're going away? Should I be constrained by this old life that's being washed away by these liberalizations? And so that's a, that, this idea that um, Tolstoy's getting at through these different characters and their different reactions to these different institutions, to the loves that are lost, loves that are found, and how it affects them on a human level. Mm -hmm. And so it's a great way of looking at how these huge macro changes affects the individual, and it's a way to make it relatable to one another. How, I mean, who cares? Like, you can read a history book about how the Zemtovs like changed social classes, but it doesn't really connect with you unless you interact with it on a human level. Mm -hmm. And that's where art comes into yeah. this. Yeah. Hmm. So, what got you started on Russian novels? Um, I took a class in high school about Russian history. So, in that class, I read Dr. Zhivago. Hmm. Okay. And then Elaine the Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Right. Which is the soul had seen, soul had sign. Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. Solzhenitsyn uh, book about the uh, Soviet prisoner of war. Right. And right. I found them very interesting. And then I think junior year of college, I picked up Crime and Punishment and I finished it recently. So about like the summer I finished it. Okay. Started in a career. I think that, you know, they're interesting. They're, you know, they figured, they figured it out. In high school, I read A Day in the Life mm -hmm. and have read nothing else by Russian uh, novelists or fiction writers. So based on what you've read, um, obviously excluding Day in the Life, mm -hmm. what would you recommend I start with based on what you've read? Where, what, what might... I take a crack at. I think crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. It's shorter than a lot. You know, okay. for example, like Anna Karenina's eight hundred pages. Boris mm -hmm. uh, Karamazov, which is another um, Dostoevsky book, is a thousand. He's oh, over a thousand. Crime and punishment's only five hundred, so God. comparatively slim. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about the, you know the shifting societal mores, you know, in the valley ain't gonna cut it. Now, are there spark notes for these books? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and movies. And, yeah, movies and robust movies. literature around the people who you have know, written about this. Podca you know, podcasts? Podcasts. Podcasts. So I, get to, I, I could do a little cheating then. <laughs> you could. Okay. So that's what I'm reading now. Really enjoying it. Good. And closing also, in or? I'm about, let me check, I have it right next to me. Yeah. Um, what page? 230, 240. And how many to go? It's a total so, of? Um, 740. So like another 500 pages. Okay. 
Yeah, not insurmountable. So, but prior to uh, dipping into mm -hmm. into Anna, you were um, you were reading a medieval art so, history book. Yeah, I so the gift from a former professor. Yes, yeah, so um, I finished the distinguished majors program in art history at UVA. Right, and part of that is like you know, part of this your advisor gives you a book as a gift at the end of the semester. Yes, obviously, given the. Uh, Pandemic that didn't happen, so it was mailed to me a couple of weeks ago. It's a book called Arts of Illusion by a mm -hmm. professor named Margaret Graves at the University of Indiana. And thumbs up. Spectacular. Um, she is engaging with objects um, that, what she calls to allude to architectural designs in their environs, in the greater medieval environs. Difficult to explain what's going on in the medieval world, right. it's a little bit more complex. But the yeah. idea of that they are referencing architectural designs in some way. Mm -hmm. And what she's trying to do is redefine these objects, not in the not in Western European terms fundamentally, yeah. where ornamentation is like a skin, or there is a, a mimetic reproductive approach to this architectural thing, where you can make like a small like box or a, a prixis, so to speak, look like a dome tower or like a cathedral, but it's like it's meant to represent that specifically. Or um, if there's ornamentation on something, it just kind of lays the skin on top of it. Mm -hmm. She's looking at these objects, which are from the medieval world, um, predominantly from Persia, but also a little bit from Egypt, where ornamentation forms a kind of a blurred fundamental function with the kind of quotidian use of these objects. So ornamentation is worked into, informed by, and informs the function of these objects in a very interesting way. Fascinating. Yeah. It's a wonderful book. I mean, I don't recommend it for everybody if you don't yeah. have like a background in But But it's going to be a, a permanent part of your library. Oh, yeah. 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 So really, I mean, and also just well-written, well-researched, really, I mean, this is, I think, not to talk about, you know, the practice of Islamic art, but I think when you're studying Islamic art, you need to, as with anything outside of like the Western European sphere, American sphere, you need to recalibrate your understanding of what art can be, what art means to people, because it's created in, well, kind of, you know, in the case of many of our cultural connections through the Greek world, it's still different. Like, they're thinking about art in a different way. Um, so you have to recalibrate how you think about art before you can approach it. Yeah. Even if there are these connections with the Western European world, it's, it's just a little bit different. Things function in a different way, and you try to apply, like, a Western European framework for studying art onto it, you're going to miss some stuff. You're going to ultimately perform kind of a neo, almost a neo like a neocolonialism approach to the studying art because you're trying to westernize this thing, which is fundamentally not. Yeah. So would your professor who gave you the book as a gift uh, know the author, the writer, probably? Probably. It's yeah. a very small community. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I was reading that, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, kind of reflecting upon my work, uh, you know, as an undergraduate, as good as it can be, you know, kind of thinking about these things in a different way. Sure. And then after that, I read a book called Thinking Basketball by a guy named Ben Taylor. Tell us about that. So... Ben Taylor is a cognitive scientist who is also a basketball um, ana analyst. Um, yeah. He does a YouTube channel, a podcast called Thinking Basketball, and he runs a blog slash website called Backpicks. <laughs> um, he's, um, he takes a very analytic-driven uh, approach to studying basketball with a heavy film component. <laughs> and he wrote a book a few years ago called Thinking Basketball where he kind of, what he's looking at is how does how do the functions of the mind how does the mind work like it's 
whether they're just processes data, it's some weaknesses, it's, uh, it's foibles. How does that affect the way that we watch basketball and interpret its results? So it's it's aimed at the fan and the fan. aimed at the fan. And the, the whole idea is like, when you read this book, you become a better watcher of basketball. Okay. You, you understand why the way we talk about basketball, you understand how we came to talk about basketball the way that we do now and how that's wrong and here's a better way to approach it. Well, you're no greenhorn when it comes to basketball. Mm -hmm. Did you find the book informative? Did it you did. learn stuff? I really did because, you know, I mean, I, I love watching basketball. I do. And, he, and you know Ben Taylor's yeah. work through his mm -hmm. website or his podcast. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's, it is very interesting because I never, like, you know, I have my critiques of the way that basketball analysis is done, but I never <laughs> approached from kind of a systematic I never really undertook kind of like a systematic critique of it where here is this method of thinking I'm going to apply to how basketball is covered and see where its mistakes are done. Like I never, you know, I'm not a cognitive scientist, so I'd never taken the approach that Ben Taylor had done. And it really opened my eyes about how narratives are formed about basketball, about how we overvalue certain things in basketball, about how um, the, even like the length of the game and like the series inform how we think about teams. So how this, how like the structure of basketball that we've agreed upon for you know twenty years change how we think about the game itself. So good book, well done. Well done. What do you think about the writing style? Very good, cleanly written, accessible to accessible. a lay person yeah, like me. Accessible, cleanly, efficiently written, gets mm -hmm. to the point. Really good. It's like one hundred and forty pages. It's a keeper. Very much so. And you'll go back to it. I'll go back to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, since you mentioned Ben and thinking basketball, it's Labor Day. A uh, couple of games on tap today. Um, bring us up to speed. So yesterday, the, My uh, the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Miami Heat. So that series is at 3-1 in favor of Miami. Probably over sooner rather than later. The Milwaukee Bucks star and probably MVP of the league, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, hurt his ankle. Pretty, apparently pretty bad sprain, so he's probably not coming back. For the rest of the playoffs. Yeah. How important is he to the team's success? He is the team. So they're he done. Yeah, it's done. After the next yeah. round, they're finished. Yeah, the, I mean, understandably, when you have the best player in the world, you build your team around him. So when you take that, you know, when you take that single point of failure apart, the whole card house falls down. And then has he been injury prone? Not at all. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you just roll an ankle. It happens. Freak accident. Yeah. Did happened. you see the uh, injury? I did not. Did not. But apparently, I mean, he couldn't walk off the floor of his own weight. Couldn't stand up after the game. So it's not looking good. Okay. Uh, and then after that, the Lakers beat the Houston Rockets. So that's that series is at 1-1 yesterday. So we're recording this on Labor Day, so the day before that, so Sunday. Sunday. Right, Sunday before Labor Day. Sunday the 6th. Yeah. Huh. So today, or this evening, mm -hmm. the Celtics? Celtics play the Raptors, and after that, the Los Angeles Clippers play the Denver Nuggets. As a Celtics, concern, uh, as a Celtics fan, uh, troubled, concerned about uh, the direction of this series? Yes and no. I mean, look. The series could be over if, you know, a shot in the third game had gone our way, but these things happen. It was a small sample size, very low chance of it succeeding. It happened. The series is 2-2. You're talking now. about the buzzer beater. I'm talking about the buzzer beater. So OG and Anobi of the um, Toronto Raptors hit a buzzer beater with half a second left to put the Toronto Raptors over by one in the game three. That the Celtics would put them three nothing. And then the Raptors tied the series on Saturday. So it's unfortunate, uh, but that's the past. Is what it is now. We get a three-game series. Got to go out and win. And, I mean, the games have been incredibly close, other than the first game. The Celtics won pretty handily, but the games have been very close. They're two incredibly well-coached teams with smart, versatile players who are just going to war. Mm -hmm. Have any of the best-of-seven 
round two playoffs been decided as we speak? They have not. The only one that could have been decided at this point was the Miami series, but Milwaukee won ultimately. So, but it's three one. Three one. So yeah. And I mean, did, we just you know, when did they play next? To, uh, tomorrow. tomorrow. So it's a matter of time at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Numbers game. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Well, um, let's talk about food. Food. Yeah. What did we have today? I thought you know. I thought we had a spectacular we Labor had, Day meal. We had some Thanks ribs. to you. Yeah, we had some St. Louis style ribs. What does that mean, St. Louis style? I don't know. It's cut different than baby back. Okay. I mean, I'm not a butcher. We'll so, have to get the research yeah. uh, department on that. We'll one. Google that. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk to the boffins. Um, so boiled them first. So yeah. boil why, the ribs. why boil? What is that? A- Boiling, I think it gets a bad rap. Boiling is a really good way of cooking the foods through. Yeah. Uh, because it provides so, this is a bit of a physics thing, but a liquid kind of provides a uniform environment to conduct heat. So if you heat water up to, like you know, boiling, it's a uniform temperature. So the meat's going to cook evenly, right? Or it's potatoes. a conductor. Yeah. What's really bad that is caramelizing stuff. So when you boil a piece of pork, it's you know it's it's wet. It's been boiled in water. So can't it, you dry it and I take a towel to you it? Dry or something? it, but it's it's not going to taste good because you have no like. What we're trying to get there's no mired reaction, there's no caramelization on the outside. So to achieve that, you put it on the grill, which is what we did after that. And I think that's you know a fundamental not to you know do a cooking thing here, but that's kind of a fundamental lesson of cooking where different heat does different things. And so knowing what what the strengths of a heat are versus another allows you to become more efficient cook. Where you know I can use boiling to cook this meat through mm-hmm. in a way that the grill doesn't, but then I can use the grill at the end to get a nice. Uh, crust on the outside so it has you know more flavor so back to boiling mm-hmm. so you you boil for how long 10 minutes and it cooks it through yeah it gets about 130 degrees internal. and and the idea of boiling is that you have this this conductor mm-hmm. heat conductor water mm-hmm. that that uniformly cooks mm-hmm. the meat yeah through mm-hmm. um and there's no loss of flavor no what about that lovely fat that encases I mean, the meat? Sure, but the thing about like that is good. Sure, but like the fat like on the inside of the meat isn't like going away. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And also, I mean, if you grill if you grill it and the fat you know melts and evaporates, you're also losing fat that way. Now I'm all over the map on this one, mm-hmm. but you, before uh, boiling the meat, yeah, you did you season or prep it in any way? It's season the water. So what I did, I took out but the But did you salt something? Was there some salting process? I salted the water. So oh, salt the water. But you did nothing no. to the meat other than toss it in the pot. Toss it in the pot. Yeah, I think next time I might salt it beforehand. It's like, let's sit for 24 hours and then cook it. Okay. We'll see. So you take the meat out of the uh, the water. Yeah. And it, and it immediately goes on yeah, to the grill? Yeah, so for that, since you've cooked it almost all the way to the temperature you want, so for pork you want something that's 145 to 150. Okay. So we took it 130, 135. So you're almost all the way there. And do you eyeball it or do you have... I d- just put a thermometer in. And then... And, and then... You put it on re- the, and ideally... 130 to 135, ideally. That's when it's out of the pot. Out of the pot. But how about on the grill? On the grill, you want to get about 145, 150. For how long? So you, that's when you want to get the temperature up to. I see, I see. So it's, and so since it's almost there... Yeah. And this is where the balance comes in. So you need to cook the meat through to finish that cooking. But also you want to get that crust. So... Because it's a relatively thin cut of meat and we're almost there, you want to get the heat as high as you can mm-hmm. so you get a nice crust going on the outside of the meat. The sauce was shockingly good. Yeah. Are you prepared to yeah, share so, some details about how yeah, you made it's, it? It's a very simple barbecue sauce. So I took a shallot and sliced it up right. and then let it caramelize in the pan for like 20 minutes. In oil? No, no oil. No oil. And a little bit of water. Okay. And then, um, what did I do? 
ketchup base, so like half a cup of ketchup, three quarters okay. of a cup of ketchup. You can eyeball all of this, you know, the, pre the precision here is right. not necessary. You know, yeah. We're not baking macaroons. Right, right. And then, so you have your tomato base, then something sweet with sugar in it, so caramelized. I said, in this case, I use molasses, but if you have brown sugar, you can go crazy. Uh, then I added some mustard, which is going to give it this nice flavor, a little Worcestershire sauce, get some umami going, and then um, balsamic vinegar at the end uh, to give it a vinegar taste, but also to complement kind of the earthier tones we're developing mm -hmm. in the sauce itself. Mm -hmm. And then salt and pepper, just flavoring, and then paprika at the end. And then you stir it together and let it simmer for like 20 minutes. And then when the, when the ribs were taken from the grill, you... Uh, you scraped or scooped yeah. the sauce out of yeah. the pan and just dabbed away. Yeah. It's magnificent. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what else? What else is going on in our lives oh, these do, days? We really don't have, do we have like a vertical at a publication you want to critique? Because we did um, by the book last week. We did, yeah. We talked uh, about Date Lab. Washington we talked Coast, about date lab. Yes. So maybe, do you want to chew on that for a few minutes? Sure, why not? So there's, there's a weekly feature a weekly in the Washington Post called yeah. Date Lab. It's two people who like met online or in person. Well, through the Washington Post. Through the Washington Post. They, they match them up. Everybody fills out an application and they match up. And so they subject them to a date that gets recorded and then tested at the end. I think similar stuff has been done like the Cavalier Daily, which is a UVA newspaper. They do something like that. Um, What's it called? called love connection love connection yeah nice and then i've seen like um i think like allure which is like a, a magazine that does beauty and something like oh a-l-l-u-r-e yeah allure. yeah uh I've they did it. they did a youtube series where like people meet online and then they would like film like like a talking head before the right. date and then after the date right see how it went anyways similar idea yeah yeah uh, people subjecting their date to the gaze of others and so date lab does the same thing and yeah it's it's strange. <laughs> it is strange. You know, uh, they have a rating system, mm -hmm. and so so that you get a picture of of uh, the the folks dating standing side by side, and uh, and uh, the story, a simple narrative, talks about who they are and what they're looking for in a mate, their ideal mate, and it's all ridiculous in my view. But um, at the bottom of the story, they they rate. Uh, the experience five is the ultimate, and then you know it's downhill after that. And it seems to me invariably uh, most of these folks um, don't get along, uh, or quickly conclude that there's no future for for them together. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I gave up on Date Lab for years until I guess this past weekend. So how long, this, how long has this thing been going on? Well, it's been going on for decades. Wow, yeah, a good twenty years or mm -hmm. so. You know, um, strange stuff. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it is, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like a selection bias where, like, the people who are attracted to do this are weird, or, like, you know, not to say weird, but, like, there's, like, a certain type of person who's, like, I'm going to go to the Washington Post to find a date, and then I'm going to put it online. Like, well, the, 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 That's a certain type of personality. Yeah, the, the guy in this weekend's date lab said that he was apprehensive about... Mm -hmm participating in something like this so publicly. Yeah, but... He called his mother and his sister and said, what do you think? Here's the, but he filled, he filled the thing out. Like I he, think he was right in yeah. a way, you know? It is, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. I, you feel it out. He, he filled it, like, he filled it out. He knew what he was getting into, and then he's like, I don't know, I get cold feet. Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, yes, it's strange. And is is uh, love connection? Love connection. Kind of a, a little bit deep. I actually, name I did, right? Is it, is it popular? Do the, the, the Cav readers people, eat it up? <laughs> people like it, but I think they like it <laughs> ironically. Like there's a very there's a very famous love connection between these two people named <laughs> Cole and Lily. These are real names. They're real names. <laughs> and it's student only. Right? Student only. It's only exactly. students. And so, yeah. um, in this in this particular uh, installment of Love Connection, these two. The, the, it's before I think it's before Thanksgiving break, and so like they need to do something quick, and so. <laughs> that a news hole, yeah. Phil. Let me, let me pull. I'll pull it. I don't want to read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'll pull it up. Um, now, now here's a question for yeah. you. In your four years, as a first year, second year, third year, fourth year, did you ever know anyone featured in uh, the Love Connection? No, I never did. And now, is it a weekly fact or periodic? It's, I think, I believe it is weekly. It's a standing feature. It's a standing feature. Yeah. Those are dangerous. Let me see if you can find Those it. Those are dangerous. Oh, yeah, okay, Love, Connect, yeah, Love Connection to Lee and Cold. So this is from December 3rd, 2019. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it almost reads, <laughs> it seems strange, it almost reads like a Beckett play where it's like these two people come for a thing. It's uncertain why they're there. It, it, never, kidding. You know, the, yep. the post-date lab, I think the mm -hmm. post not only matches mm -hmm. folks up, but also picks up the tab for their oh, dinner. Really? Now, does the Cav Daily have that kind of budget? Doubt that. Um, Maybe you go to Bodo's yeah. for yeah. a bagel well, and cream cheese and that's it. That's what they did. Um, oh, my. So, but it's, this almost reads like a Beckett play where it's like the conversation, like nothing happens. Right. Conversation goes nowhere. It's very existential. Yeah. Waiting for things like... People going upstairs on scooters, like there's a, there's a sense of quiet despair as a reader. Mm -hmm. Like they talk about coffee a lot. And do they? And this feature includes a photograph of yeah. the, these lucky. People. <laughs> you don't want to see the photo. I'd love to. Yeah. Hmm. Boy. And so, looks, well, just the looks of it seems like it's doomed. Yeah. <laughs> It's like and then love connection. They, they ought to they ought to yeah, work on that. They spent they spend a whole paragraph talking about how she paid for his coffee, but it wasn't a big deal because only two dollars. And he thought, well, that's strange. And she thought that's strange. Like that's most of the date. And then the twist at the end is that um. Uh, so this is Lily. So it's it's like uh, like a back and forth. Like I'm glad we got to know each other. I think he's a really nice guy and a good friend to have. Yeah, here and yeah, I totally would go on a date with him. Ellipses if his girlfriend's okay with it. Hmm. Mm. Complicated. Yeah. It, 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 caused, right. it caused an uproar among uh, among the people. So you've there. never recognized anyone recognized in. It. So here's the thing: I did fill. I wonder if you have a connection. Do you have? I mean, no pun intended, but do you have to know someone at the Cav Daily. No. To... Well, here's the thing: so I, as as a bit of a joke, I filled out a love connection mm -hmm. form. And uh, in like this was like so. Perhaps like you sure you want to discuss this? Yeah, <laughs> I do know that. So this is in February. Um, and it didn't, nothing came of it because of, you know, COVID, but they, it did it as a joke. And so I answered every question with something related to Lyndon Johnson. Uh -huh. And how did you do that? I mean, what so, sort of questions? They, so we, they're boilerplate questions, The boilerplate right? questions. Let me see if we can find the form if they're still doing it. Well, what generally, what do they ask you? Like your hobbies, your interests? Um, have you ever been arrested? Yeah. Oh, here, here's the form. That's yeah. It's like your name, like your being ID, so how they contact you, what year right. you are, you prefer gender, who you're looking for. Like, so your dream job. So, like, for example, you answer that, like, 
curator at the Lyndon Johnson <laughs> Memorial Library, something like that. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that generates <laughs> a lot of interest. So now, you that, know, yeah. where, but you, you should say something about your interest in LBJ, yeah. which was fueled by... Robert Caro. But right? I think the, idea, the great Robert yeah. Caro. Yeah, so that's... that's well, like, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, Google uh, Love Connection. Love Connection, and then we, we could talk about it more <laughs> next week. Yeah, because it's... Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> All right, uh, I think it's probably enough for this week. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Shut it down before it's too late. All right, uh, so... This is Functional Observations. Good episode this week. Um, contact us at the email that will be in the description. And you know, hopefully we'll see you soon. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>